The Bible says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But when he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now, all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not, till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. May God bless his word. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we are just so blessed to be able to live another day of this great life you've given us, and to be able to worship our Savior, and to especially uh, rejoice at the incarnation, the birth of a Savior to the world. Thank you, Lord, that so many people, so many cultures uh, set aside a time every year uh, to acknowledge the birth of the King of Kings, the entrance into the world of uh, God in the flesh. And we ask your blessing today. Help us to understand what was so significant about uh, what Matthew is teaching here and the event of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. And we ask your blessing in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You may be seated. Matthew chapter 1. It does not feel like Christmas time to me. I don't know about you. Um, same same here. Uh, but we're going to talk about um, really the most, what has been considered the most one of, if not the most important doctrine of the Christian faith. Uh, and it is one that is of such vital evidence that several other fundamental doctrines of the Christian faith also um, hinge on that. Uh, so look at Matthew chapter 1. Let's begin. Uh, we are going to be looking at a text of Scripture, which, as you see right there, it's, it's right there before you all to see. So now you know what text of scripture we're looking at today, right? Do you look at that? You say, oh, there's Isaiah 7, 14. Or don't you? Oh, it's not in English, I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, let's look at, um, let's talk about Christmas. Uh, many of you know that I love Christmas music and we have a debate ranging in our house of, you know, when it is appropriate to play Christmas music <laughs> and when it is not. And apparently that's been being debated it gets debated every year online. I always see someone that posts, you know, at certain times, you know, it's not fair game. This is not the time to listen to Christmas music. I think the official time is often considered the day after Thanksgiving. Am I right with that? How many of you, that's your conviction? And you'll die on that. No, no. no. <laughs> you know, if I were to hear Christmas music in like June, 
I'm okay with that. Now, I would not play it from June till December because, you know, it gets old. But I, but I just, I love the Christmas music. And I love the great carols. And one of them is Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Did we just sing that, I think? We did. And um, specifically, listen to this phrase because what I love, and, and, you know, I grew up not as a born-again Christian, but I was brought up religious. And in our church, uh, a Christian denomination, we sang many of the hymns. Uh, and, and so I know they crossed my lips. And some of those hymns have phenomenal doctrinal truth. I used to sing Amazing Grace, having no clue what it means when I sang, I once was lost and now, what is it? I once was lost and now I'm saved, was blind, okay, and now I'm found and was blind, but now I see. Uh, I sang that many, many times, having no idea what it meant to, you know, that I wouldn't have said, well, I don't think I'm lost. I'm a pretty good person. And then the Christmas hymns, Christmas carols, I would sing, I would sing, hark the herald angels sing, just like so many. And listen to this phrase, part, one of the verses in hark the herald angels sing, which was written by Charles Wesley, uh, and, and it's sung every Christmas time for over a hundred years. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord, late in time behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. And then listen to this doctrine. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. I used to sing that. I had no idea what I was singing. Hail the incarnate deity. Those are claims about that little baby in the manger. Pleased as man with men to dwell. In other words, Jesus would become a man and he'd be pleased as a man to dwell among men. Jesus our Emmanuel. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Have you come to know Jesus Christ as Emmanuel, as Savior, as your king, the Lord of your life? See, we're not today and this weekend, we're not just looking at a baby in a manger. And yet, sadly... So many people, that's all they're going to see him as. Because oh, that's the, you know, even many that would say Jesus is the reason for the season would say, okay, you know, well, Christmas is about Santa Claus and about presents and being with family. And, oh, yeah, there's the baby birth. You know, baby Jesus is born and all. But they do not understand the significance of the baby in a manger. And that's where we come to, to Matthew. So Matthew chapter 1. And we're going to see that Matthew takes us back into the Old Testament. Now, you know, when Jesus was on this earth, he died, and then he rose again. And in his, one of his first appearance was to some disciples on the road to Emmaus. In fact, and you don't need to turn there, but in Luke chapter 24, he directs them to the Scriptures. Listen to, listen to what it says. Just listen to Luke 24, verses 25 and 20 through 27. Then said, this is Jesus talking to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Then said Jesus unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. He goes back into the Old Testament, talking about the prophets. 
Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? He's talking about the fact that Jesus was crucified. And of course, it's him resurrected that's saying these things, but they, these two disciples had their minds blinded for a little bit. They did not know it was the risen Savior. And so he is rebuking them for not understanding the significance of his birth, his life, and his death. And then this is what I love. In Luke 24, and verse 27, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He took his Old Testament, the Tanakh, and he began at Moses, and he went through to the prophets. And, he, and, and I would have loved to have been there. He brought out all the scriptures in the Old Testament that talked about him. Leading up through the prophets, which would be Isaiah. Now, we're here in Matthew chapter 1, and Matthew, who also sat through that, that kind of teaching with the resurrected Lord and, and all that teaching, he was very familiar with the things that Jesus would say about himself from the Old Testament. And so, look now at verse... Go on, verse 22. So he gives a birth. You know, the, now the birth of Jesus was on this wise, and he talks about the angels, and he gives the Christmas story. And then he says this in verse 22. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet. He's talking about Isaiah. Saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. You know what he's doing? Matthew is teaching the Bible, and he's expounding Isaiah 7.14. So let's go back there. Take your Bibles to Isaiah in the Old Testament. Proverbs, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah. So Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. Isaiah 7, 14. We're going to talk about the context here in a minute. This is the scripture that we're looking at. The, 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 we're talking today about the incredible importance at this time of year of Isaiah 7, 14. Look at verse 14. Look at Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin. And in the Hebrew, there's, an, uh, there's a definite article there. Uh, many would translate it, and it would be proper to say, The virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. What's so significant about this text? Well, it's a sign that God is giving. By the way, this verse that we're reading was given through Isaiah 700 years before Jesus Christ would be born. That's amazing. Do you understand how incredible that is? Imagine someone today giving a prophecy with specific 
some very specific, irrefutable situations about the year 2723, which would be 700 years from today. Imagine someone came forth and said, here's what's going to happen in 700 years from now. And then in 2723, those things take place. It would be miraculous. It would be prophetic. I want you to realize that what we celebrate today and tomorrow, Christmas, the birth, the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, is miraculous. It is, it is prophecy coming to pass. And if it's true that Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus was even born, made this statement that we read here in Isaiah 7, then folks, every human being would have to reckon with the claims of Isaiah 7.14. Who is this baby? Who is this one? Is he indeed who he says he is and what the Bible says? And how could it be that a human being would be born of a virgin? So, this is the scriptures. And I'm telling you folks, the devil is already working to undermine and to take away the supernatural aspect of Christmas and the fact of the virgin birth. You see, the atheists, unbelievers, and progressive Christians would say uh, that Matthew mistranslates Isaiah 7.14. See, the Hebrew word that's translated virgin is the, the Hebrew word Alma, and uh, Matthew is translating it, writing in, 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 in Greek, and uses the word Parthenos. Have you heard of the Parthenon? Uh, the word Parthenos means virgin. The Parthenon had to do with the, all the, 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 the idolatry and the virgins and that kind of thing. And that's what that word means. So Matthew is clearly uh, writing here in verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. So here's what the unbelievers say. To just suck every, everything out about what we celebrate for Christmas. They say, you don't understand. Matthew mistranslated Matthew 7.14. That the word Alma uh, is, is simply a... It just speaks of a young woman. And uh, in fact, uh, many people will, will say that, you know, there, there was no... Obviously, Mary was not a virgin... Jesus was, you know, he was a great prophet, but he was certainly not God in the flesh. He was not, certainly not who he claimed to be. And so people would say, some of you, I'm going to go back to our Bible study over the last couple of years during our adult Sunday school. Remember, some of you, we talked about the difference between exegesis and asegesis. You see, exegesis is, is what we're supposed to do with the Bible. X is out of, and it means we're, we're, when we interpret the Bible, we need to let the Bible speak for itself. Asegesis is when we read into the Bible what it doesn't say. And, and it is a challenge. Even for the born-again believer who believes the Bible, it is a challenge not to make the Bible say what you want it to say. Uh, and I've done that. And, and you've probably done that too. 
You ever read a verse of scripture that you thought supported what you already believed? Maybe in a, you had a disagreement with someone and, and you come across the scripture and you're like, this is ammo for my position. And then you find out, if you're teachable, that that's not what that verse is talking about. You see, exegesis is reading into the text. Exegesis is allowing the text to speak for itself. That's what we want to do to Isaiah 7.14. And there will be many people that do not believe the Bible is a supernatural book, that do not believe that Jesus Christ who is who He said He is, does not believe that He is Lord of all, and that someday we will all give an account to this one who was born a baby. And so they think that Matthew is twisting the Scriptures. Now it's interesting. During Matthew's day and Jesus' day, the Old Testament scriptures, the Tanakh, had already been translated into Greek because that was the common language of the day. Just like English in, in many parts of the world and here, English would be the common language. We have an English translation. Uh, well, many of the disciples and in, in many of the sermons, in fact, in the New Testament are from the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament scriptures. And that's clearly, Matthew is quoting from the Greek translation, this word parthenos, the word virgin. It was translated about 200 years before uh, Matthew would write Matthew chapter 1. And it was the word for virgin. So Matthew, if you're going to accuse Matthew of you know, reading into the scripture and twisting the scripture, you're going to have to go back 200 years before that. Because when they translated from the Hebrew, when they translated into Greek, they translated it virgin as well. And what's the big deal? Well, if, he was, if the sign was just that there's going to be a, a child born, that's no miracle, is it? Children are born all the time. Young women, which they say this word only can be used to say, to be translated one woman. And yet, it is translated virgin. And I want you to look now. This is an amazing find. When my dad was 13 years old, uh, this text was undiscovered. It had been sitting hidden, dormant in a cave near the Dead Sea for thousands of years. This text. is It's called the Isaiah Scroll. You ever heard of it? The Isaiah Scroll was one of the first of two or three uh, finds in what's called the Dead Sea Scrolls, and it was in um, 19, 1947 when uh, a couple Bedouin shepherds, young teens, came across this cave and found in clay jars these ancient manuscripts from thousands of years ago. And from that point, for the next 15 years, a, an intense search uh, went into that cave and I think 15 other surrounding caves or maybe 10 other surrounding caves and all these documents that had been under wraps, had been undiscovered, were found. Upwards of, of a thousand manuscripts make up the Dead Sea Scrolls. And this is one of the most significant because the Isaiah Scroll uh, is, is, I think most of the other manuscripts that are found are portions of the scriptures and other early writings but not the whole text. And the Isaiah scroll, one of the first ones found, 
contains the entire book of Isaiah from chapter 1 to chapter 66. And what's amazing is that the, the manuscript, this what you and I are looking at, and by the way, this is, this is available online in high def. You can check the whole Isaiah scroll. You can uh, under It's called Center for the Study of New Testament Manuscripts. It's a website and has every, uh, they are in the process of documenting and scanning in high resolution every uh, manuscript that's available as far back as you can go. And this, the whole thing is, is you can look at, you can, you can zoom in and see it. The whole text, you can scroll through the whole thing. It's just one long scroll. It is amazing. And again, it was discovered in 1947. But the Isaiah scroll, this particular text, now remember, the prophecy that we're talking about was 700 years before Jesus was born. This manuscript was copied from another manuscript about 100 years before Jesus Christ was born. Now, do you realize what that means? That means that people that studied this text, when it was written, I, many eyes that saw this, the events of Isaiah 7.14 had not yet been fulfilled. That gives me goosebumps. I, I mean, this is just amazing. People that laid their eyes and studied this text... The birth, the fulfillment. In fact, Isaiah 7.14 is, you see, there's, that's three, um, what you could, three patches or three leaves. And the one on the far right at the very bottom, that is Isaiah 7.14. The text that we're looking at here. And that means that people that actually laid their eyes on this text were reading it before it was fulfilled. I mean, that's exciting. You remember hearing about Anna? Anna, when Jesus was born a baby, she knew the scriptures and she was expecting to see Jesus Christ because of the miraculous sign that God gave. Maybe her eyes were the ones that read that. Maybe this is the actual scroll that she looked at. Remember Simeon? Simeon, just like Anna, was very old. And the Lord had revealed to him that he would not die until he saw the Lord's Messiah. Maybe his eyes. Because this scroll was in circulation during the time that he was alive. Maybe his eyes read that. And so when he, he saw the, the, the miraculous sign, a virgin is going to give birth. And, and then when Mary conceived, and maybe it was this scroll that caused him to be looking for the Savior. And then getting that promise must have been a thrill. But folks, this, this is so important. And what I love about it is what we're reading here, whoever read that, it, was, it hadn't been fulfilled yet. It was written 600 years. You know, the, it was definitely just like how we get our Bible today. You had the first copy that Isaiah wrote down, and then they copied off of that, and they copied off of that. And so 600 years later, this copy was made even before the fulfillment that's awesome to me. Now, let's talk about the sign and what's so spectacular about Isaiah 7.14. Again, look at verse 14 in Isaiah 7. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. The Bible says the Jews require a sign. The Greeks seek after wisdom. God was more than willing 
to comply with the need for the Jewish people to get a sign. Charlie's been talking about that as he's been studying 1 Corinthians, uh, the book of 1 Corinthians, the signs that God used in that first century church. But here was the sign to the Jews. The Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold. In other words, here it is. Pay attention. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son. We call this the incarnation. I'm going to give you some dictionary definitions of incarnations. Of, of what, what is an incarnation? So first we'll go to that great theological treatise called Webster's Dictionary. Webster said this, Inclination is the act... By the way, I was joking. Webster's Dictionary is just an English dictionary. But Noah Webster was a born-again believer and understood. And, and he filled his first... His, the very first Webster's Dictionary... The majority of illustrations were from Scripture. He quoted incessantly from Scripture. Now, every time they've updated it, they've removed it. There's probably hardly, if any, Scriptures in Webster's Dictionary now. But listen to his definition of incarnation. The act of clothing with flesh. It is, or taking a human body and the nature of man as the incarnation of the Son of God. Oxford Dictionary. Here's another great definition the embodiment of God the Son in human flesh as Jesus Christ. Now, look at, let's go back to Matthew 1. Are, are you still there? You're still there. Look at Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18. Here's the emphasis of, and this is what Matthew is bringing out. He's preaching from Isaiah 7:14. He's sharing the events. And in verse 18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, and he makes this important point, before they came together. It's a a clear reference to physical relationship between a man and a woman that is necessary to produce a child. And, And Matthew's making the point. They had not come together physically. Yet, they would, after the birth of Jesus, that's why Jesus had brothers and sisters, despite what you've been told, if you've been told otherwise. So it says, when, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. And then verse 22, now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord. One of the key doctrines of the Christian faith from that first century is the virgin birth. Because it speaks everything to who Jesus Christ was. And there'll be a lot of people, and there have been historically, um, that have tried to take away that truth from the Scriptures. So in their mind, think of how important it is. If Jesus Christ is really who He said He is, you and I are going to stand before Him and answer someday. But if He was just another man, even, even just a great prophet... He's just like one of us. And there's no threat to this little baby that is born. It's amazing how many people will... There's there's one of the most popular theories is that it was at the Council of Nicaea when the whole idea of the incarnation and the virgin birth, uh, you know, when that, that was dreamed up. The cults like Jehovah Witnesses and so forth that don't believe Jesus as God, 
They love to use that. New Agers will use that. You know, the whole the Council of Nicaea is when is when they inserted the virgin birth in the deity of Christ, which is of course a fallacy. But for multitudes of years, from that first century, all the way up until the early 19th century and the 1890s, the doctrine of the virgin birth and the incarnation, which are two sides of the same coin, came under attack. And many of God's people from various denominations, Bible believers from all different denominations, from all different countries, banded together and said, we need to defend these doctrines which are under attack. And they came out with articles that were written by different theologians and pastors all across the world. And, and one of the primary ones was a doctrine defending the virgin birth. And I want to read to you from the fundamentals. It would eventually be bound to become a... Um, a very important document historically. And I want to read to you from volume 2, chapter 11 of the four edition set that was by the Bible Institute of Los Angeles. This was produced in 1917. So it was late 1892, I think, was when the doctrine came under attack. And for a couple decades, God's people were very concerned. And then they articulated. So listen to what it says. It is well known that the last 10 or 20 years have been marked by a determined assault upon the truth of the virgin birth of Christ. In the year 1892, a great controversy broke out in Germany owing to a pastor named Schremp's belief in the virgin birth. Schremp was deposed and an agitation commenced against the doctrine of the virgin birth, which has grown in volume ever since. The attack is not confined indeed to the virgin birth. It affects the whole supernatural estimate of Christ, his life, his death, his claims, his sinlessness, his miracles, his resurrection from the dead. But the virgin birth is assailed with special vehemence. In very many quarters, the virgin birth of Christ is openly treated as a fable. For example, up to this day, one author named Patrick Campbell wrote a book called The Mythical Jesus. And he he looks at what we're doing today and tomorrow, as, as if we were celebrating the Easter Bunny or anything else. Listen to what he says in his book, The Mythical Jesus. The virgin birth account is a clearly recognized mythological element in our faith tradition. This was a supposed Christian pastor who was a, a Bible denier. He was a, a liberal that did not believe the Bible. Again, he said, the virgin birth account is a clearly recognized mythological element in our faith tradition whose purpose was not to describe a literal event, but to capture the transcendent dimensions of God in the earthbound words and concepts of first century human beings. Let me read this. I want to read to you. When the fundamentals were being attacked... Most churches believed in the fundamental Christian doctrines. And the, all the mainline denominations preached the gospel, the virgin birth, the deity of Jesus Christ, salvation by faith alone. So listen to what the Encyclopedia Britannica says about the virgin birth. 
It is the fundamental doctrine of the Orthodox Christianity that Jesus Christ had no natural father, but was conceived by Mary through the power of the Holy Spirit. The doctrine that Mary was the sole natural parent of Jesus is based on the infancy narratives contained in the Gospel of Counts and Matthew and Luke. It was universally accepted in the Christian church and was not seriously challenged until the rise of Protestant theological liberalism in the 19th century. Clearly, what you and I still embrace about this child, this babe in a manger, is what is a core tenet of the Christian faith. In fact, folks, people that deny the virgin birth and deny that Jesus is God with us should really not call themselves Christian because they do not, do not understand that. Matthew chapter 22 and verse 42 asks this question, What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? That's a question that every one of us need to answer. What do you think of Jesus Christ? Whose son is he? Well, the liberals would say he's just the son of Joseph and Mary. No big deal. Great prophet. Great man. Oh, but the Bible says something very different. He is the son of God. Born of a virgin. In fact, Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 22 says, this is another prophecy about the virgin birth. For the Lord hath created a new thing in the earth. A woman shall encompass a man. In other words, a woman on her own will develop a man apart from the father. The virgin birth. It is indeed a new thing. It was at that time a new thing. And it was prophesied. Every single person that read that text, it hadn't happened yet. But it would. Maybe even their parents, whoever read it, and others would, would have read from that. So what's, what's the challenge? Where are we today? Today, folks, there are many people that have embraced this lie, that think that there will be no consequences, that Jesus Christ was just merely a, a great person. In fact, listen to these tragic statistics. This was published in the Red Book magazine, not a Christian magazine. They took a, toll, a poll of students from Protestant seminaries, and 56% of people studying for the ministry rejected the virgin birth. Another study... Uh, done by University of California at Berkeley, not a Christian institution. Uh, they, they studied that 31% of American Baptists rejected the virgin birth, 34% of the Lutherans rejected the virgin birth, 43% of the United Presbyterians rejected the virgin birth, 61% of Episcopalians rejected the virgin birth, 66% of Methodists rejected the virgin birth, and 79% of the Congregationalists rejected the virgin birth. Can you see what that theological liberalism did to the core tenets of the faith? It totally ripped out the power of Christmas and what we celebrate. One more modern study done by George Barna studied that over 62% of lay people and 80% of clergy profess they do not believe in a virgin birth. How tragic that is. And what does it matter? Well, let's 
Let's go to John chapter 1 as we close. We want to talk about the importance and what's the implication. So what? What if he was just a man, a great man, one that provided a great example for us to follow? I submit to you, if Jesus Christ was not who he said he was, is that really a great man? If somebody came to this world and claimed to be God incarnate, are you going to give him the credit of being a good man when he's, when he's telling the biggest whopper on the face of the earth? <laughs> and he's just a great prophet, but not God? Emmanuel, God with us? Look at John chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, and the Word was made flesh. By the way, That's what the word Emmanuel means. That's what incarnation means. God enrobed in human flesh. That is God with us. That's Jesus Christ. God with us. And it goes on. Verse 14, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. What an amazing thing. Listen to some of these scriptures. Here's why it's so important that you believe that Jesus was the incarnate Son of God, that He was virgin-born, that He was who He claimed to be. Here's why it's so important. Because with this, this unique birth is the only way that God could become a man without also becoming a sinner. Because you and I, we're born of our fathers. The seed of man is passed down. Wherefore, as by all men, uh, the Bible says, wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death is passed upon all men through the father, Adam. Sin is passed down. And if you have an earthly father, you came from an earthly father, you are a sinner. And I submit to you, even Jesus' mother, Mary, even the apostles, Peter, James, and John, were all sinners some have elevated mary to become sinless Uh, and yet what did jesus say in the magnificat that's a big thing for those who worship mary in the magnificat that text in scripture where mary was praising god she called god her savior because she knew she needed a savior and folks jesus is the only savior of the world listen to some of these verses second corinthians 5 21 says, for he, God the Father, hath made him, God the Son, to be sin for us who knew no sin. Jesus Christ, because he was born of a virgin, because he was Emmanuel, God with us, he's the only one that never sinned. 1 John 3, 5, and ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. 1 Peter 1, 18, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. No sin. Hebrews 9.24 How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works? What an amazing thing. That Jesus Christ was the sinless Son of God. 
But because of that, you and I need to give him his rightful place. Have you done that? Have you given him your rightful place? He is the Lord. The word Lord, another word for that would be the captain. He's in charge because you understand who he is. I close with this. I read a story of a man uh, named Jim uh, who came to church one, one Sunday, one Christmas service. Um, it is very common in the church uh, that the multitudes of professing believers will only come to church two times a year. My father said, yeah, we call them, um, what we, he said, we call them holiday Christians. And he would always say this. My dad was, I'm becoming a lot like my dad. My dad would say the same jokes and I'm doing the same thing. But my dad would, and, and I, he would say this. He said, yeah, we have a lot of, uh, he said, we have a lot of holiday Christians that come to our church. No, he called them flower Christians. That's what it is, flower Christians. And I said, what do you mean, Dad, flower Christians? He said, well, they only come on Easter and, and, and Christmas when all the flowers are out. And he called them flower children. Well, this guy, Jim, came to a church service one time. And um, the pastor said to him, Jim, it's time you join the army of the Lord. We need to see you every Sunday. And he said, Pastor, I'm already in the armor of the Lord, army of the Lord. And, um, and then the, the pastor said, if you're really already in the army of the Lord, why do we only see you on Easter and Christmas? And he took the pastor aside and he whispered and he said, I'm in the secret service. <laughs> A lot of Christians are in the secret service. And you would never know. They're soldiers of Jesus Christ. Folks, let's give Jesus Christ his rightful due this Christmas and every Christmas after. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray for your blessing that we would acknowledge Jesus Christ as who he was. Father, he was not just a great man, though he was a great man. He was not simply a good teacher, though he was the best teacher he was and is God in the flesh. And so, Father, I pray that we would give our dear Savior all the glory and honor, that we would worship Him, that we would make this holiday season, uh, which gets, gets the central theme of the birth of Christ, gets so distracted so that so many Christians, it, it's not about the birth of a Savior. Lord, help us to make that our central focus because that's what Christmas is all about. Well, thank you for it. Help us to be soldiers in the army of the Lord. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.